Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. As we sing to the glory of Christ and we celebrate our salvation and as we celebrate one of our own in the waters of baptism, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of his life, uh, we come now to open the word and we find ourselves at one of the most beautiful portraits of Jesus in the entire New Testament. I'd ask you to open with me to John chapter 13. This is Jesus, the servant. This is one of the most precious pictures of Jesus, and it's also one of the most practical pictures of Jesus, because after Jesus does what he does here, and after he says what he says, the last verse that we'll read this morning is verse 17 of John chapter 13. And Jesus says, if you know these things, or we could expand that, if your pastor talks to you about these things, or if your eyes read these things in the Bible, if you know these things, Jesus says in verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Which is a really great thing for Jesus to tell us because you and I will admit, if we're honest, we both know this. The church is very good at talking about the importance of love. And the church is very clear in talking about the importance of humility and service. But Jesus says, because he knows the way we are, not there's a blessing if you talk about these things or there's a blessing if you agree that these are values on your website. Jesus says you are blessed if you do these things. And he, in this very beautiful picture, demonstrates what it looks like to do these things. And church, I think we find ourselves in this beautiful and practical portion of the New Testament at a time when I think I'm not the only person who's had it up to here with everybody talking about what an unprecedented year we've had. That's the most overused word this year in 2020. It's unprecedented, the amount of times we've said unprecedented. But still, we find ourselves in a, in a strange season of ministry. None of our pastors or elders would say that, that this was an easy year. We all remain concerned for members who are still scattered. Some are back and some aren't, and it's not, we're not sure who's where. Even, even something as simple as families getting together for Christmas this year is unprecedentedly difficult. I'm not, I mean, am I the only one this week? I've got a brother in Cincinnati, a sister in Sacramento, a sister in Augusta, my kids in Los Angeles, my mom and dad in Los Angeles, and we're going back and forth. We have plans to all be together, but well, this person's not quite comfortable, this, that, you know, it's, everything's just <laughs> so complicated. But I think there's always... There's always an upside in the down, difficult times. And I think if we would look at this the way Jesus looks at it, there's never, maybe never been a time when it's become more important for the church not to just talk about how important love is and not just talk about how Christ-like humility and service is. But Jesus says this year, like specifically between now and the end of this year, the blessing is, how do we demonstrate love? How do we prove the love of Jesus? 
And how do we demonstrate sacrificial service in such a way that when people see that, they see the reality of Jesus in us? John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. He's completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put his outer garments back on and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus directs us in this chapter to maybe what we really need to look at here in these last three weeks of 2020, which is not that it's important for the church to talk about the importance of love, but how does the church prove the reality of Jesus' love? Not just that we talk about the importance of humble service, but how do we demonstrate that kind of humble service? And I want to look at this text together, and then, Lord willing, at the close of our service, I want to give us a, a chance to participate and to pray about these things very directly. But to look simply at this text, if I could circle a couple of words in verse 1, it'd be the verb to depart, and then it would be the words for love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. First, that it says Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. Jesus was going to depart out of this world to the Father. Well, what we have celebrated in the Advent, in all of the songs that we just sang of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and, and uh, angels we've heard on high, is that Jesus arrived in this world. The birth of Jesus is significant because he came into this world. All of us mortals, we're born in this world because we belong here and this is the world for us. Jesus had to arrive in the world because he came from outside of it. He came from heaven to the earth. Here, we anticipate his departure from the earth back up to heaven. 
we have him anticipating that he'll depart from the earth back up to the Father. Here in the, just before the Last Supper, just before the hill of Calvary, he contemplates his departure to be with his Father. And the way that he's going to depart is surprising because the way that he's going to depart is pictured even in being the one from the table to go down on the ground and wash everyone's feet. The way that he's going to depart is through the humiliating service of sacrificing his life for us on the cross. The way of his departure is not merely the way of washing feet with hands, but the way of his departure, amazingly, the way of his departure is washing our souls clean when he, as it were, as the pitcher at the table was poured out to, to wash the feet up on the tree, the Jesus was broken like the pitcher and out of his side poured out water and blood. This was his departure, not for his own comfort and peace, but for our salvation. And if I circled the word to depart, I'd also circle those expressions of love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The way that we show love, the church is good at talking about the importance of love, but the way that we demonstrate love is the way Jesus demonstrates it here. The way we demonstrate love is and always has been the way of sacrifice. The way of sacrifice. Only one got up from the table and sacrificed his dignity to go down on the ground and wash the feet. Only one sacrificed his very life for us at Golgotha. The principle here is that love is the, the radiating heart of Jesus and his church. But the principle here is that neither Jesus nor his church is meant to talk about the importance of love merely. Jesus and every member of his church is meant to demonstrate the reality of love. What does love look like? How do we prove that love? I think our world needs hope. I think our world needs love now more than ever before, and more and more people are realizing that that's what they need. How do we not just say it, but show it? In a, way that, in a way that can't be denied. How do we show that hope is a reality? How do we show the reality of Jesus' love? You know these things, but you're blessed if you do them. Did you know that in John's gospel, in chapters 1 all the way through chapter 12, the noun and verb love, you would count it nine times. But in John's gospel, in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, the noun and verb love show up some three dozen times. Jesus says, I'm, I don't want you to talk about love, church. I want you to show it. In fact, at the end of chapter 13, Jesus, this is from Jesus. This is not from the pollsters or from someone doing a sociological experiment. Jesus actually says in the end of chapter 13, hey, church, uh, I'm giving the world the right basically to judge you. He says, the world will know that you really are Christian. The world will know that you really are linked to me by this. Jesus says, by this. Not 
uh, by how you post about politics, not by what your church website says you believe, not by this or that or the other thing. You know what he says. About three or four times in John 13 and 14, he says, by this they will know that you're my disciples, by your love demonstrated for one another. This is now more than ever a time when the church can't afford to merely talk about love, but to demonstrate love in deeds of sacrifice and in words of truth. Everything radiates from that. I think that people that are outside the church think about what they say in the church as some kind of stuff that's frozen on a page. But everything radiates out of a person who is love. Everything radiates out of the only person at the table who pushed back from the table, took off his outer garment, and got on the ground to wash everybody's feet. That's the reality of it. Not talking about it, but demonstrating it. If we circle the word to depart and the word loved in the first couple of verses, I think in verses 3, 4, and 5, the only thing I would ask you to notice is the, the movement. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, here's the movement. He had come from God, and here's the double movement. He was going back to God. So there's the movement celestially, but here's the movement terrestrially. Right after, right after falling, it says, Jesus, verse 4, rose from the table, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He would have had to kneel down on the ground, verse 5, to pour the water in a basin and begin to wash the disciples' feet. The first movement is it says that he came from heaven down to the earth. That's the advent. The double movement is now he knows is the time for his departure. He who came into the world will depart from the world by the, by the astonishing way of death on the tree. And yet at the dinner, there's a simple, humble movement of being the only one to push back from the table and say, I'm not here to be served and to eat. I'm here to serve and to give. And so he puts on the servant's towel, and he's the one who gets on his knees on the ground to wash feet. So the double movement in both places parallels itself. He left heaven to come to the earth. He left the table to go to the ground and wash feet. This shows the greatness of his love by the humility of his sacrifice. And in this year, in these last three weeks of the year, how can we not just talk about and wish people knew about the love of Jesus, but how can we demonstrate it, demonstrate it in a way that's undeniable? After all, for a fisherman to pull back from the table, get down on the ground, and wash the feet of other fishermen would be nice and humble and a demonstration of love. But for the Lord of glory to get down on the ground and wash the feet of fishermen. After all, the hands of Jesus that grab the towel and grab the toes are the very hands of creator God. 
who fashions everything. And when it says there in verse 5 that he came and he wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him, this is the one who wrapped the oceans around this globe. And he's the one serving. This is the one who, did you see this? I just saw this last week. They found like, I don't know how many more thousands of galaxies. Like, where'd you find them? Where were they? Were they stuck in a drawer somewhere? I guess the, I guess the telescopes got better and they discovered all these galaxies that they hadn't discovered before. These, these are the hands that wrapped those galaxies around that we'll never even see. And he wraps this towel around himself so that he can wash their feet. This is Jesus, such a humble servant. Jesus is called the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, the beloved Son of God. Jesus is called the Word, the image of the Father, the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of the divine nature. Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is called the true God and eternal life. He's called Emmanuel, the Son of Man, the Nazarene. He's called the second Adam. He's called the last Adam. He is called the firstborn from the dead. He's called prophet, priest, and king. He's called the Lamb of God. He's called the Lion of Judah. He's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's called the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. He's called the great shepherd of the sheep, the high priest who secures our souls. He's called the bright and morning star, the faithful witness, the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega, the heir of all things. He is called the one in whom all things consist. And here, he's called servant. Servant. He's the only one at the table who takes off his outer garment and washes the feet that are dirty and sweaty and smelly. The way of washing their feet with the water and his hands is the way of washing our souls by the water and the blood that will flow from his pierced side. There's a hint of that in verse 6. Simon Peter says, Lord, what are you doing? And Jesus answers, of course, Jesus says in verse 7, what I am doing you do not understand. It's interesting that Peter says something, and then in verse 7, Jesus says, you don't understand. But then the amazing thing is in verse 8, Peter continues to talk about things that he doesn't understand, which is us. He says, you'll never wash my feet. In the end of verse 8, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I think there's something very precious in that last phrase in verse 8. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I hope I'm not overreading it. I think this is actually present in the text. Jesus doesn't say, if you are dirty, I have no share with you. You lean toward the gospel with me here? Jesus doesn't say, if there's sin in your life, uh, if you want to buy a house in Milwaukee and sell drugs, I have no share with you. Jesus says, if I don't 
wash you. I have no share with you. The way in is not that you have to be clean. The way in is that you have to be dirty and you have to say, Jesus, have mercy and wash me. That means everybody qualifies. That means this love isn't, it isn't restricted to, the, to those who are most likely or those who we think deserve it or those who we think will like it. It means that this love in an almost profligate way just goes everywhere. Washing is a picture of salvation, both in the Old and New Testaments. In Psalm 51, David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak, so that you are blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the innermost being. In the hidden heart, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Washing is a picture of salvation in the New Testament. 1 John 1, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 1 John matches with what we saw in verse 8. It doesn't say, if we have no sin and we've managed to keep clean, Jesus is with us. It says that if he washes us from our sin. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor greedy, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. Jesus doesn't say, unless you're not any of those things and have never been any of those things, you have no part with me. Jesus says, I know you were those things, and the only way to be clean is to let me wash it away. Titus 3, when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior. The way of washing our souls, just as the water was poured from the pitcher, so the blood of Jesus was poured out when the pitcher of his earthly body was shed on the tree, and his blood is what cleanses us. This is the good news of salvation. The love of Jesus is demonstrated so marvelously here at the table where he washes feet, and the love of Jesus is demonstrated eternally in how he washes us by his blood at the cross. And this is the time, church, for us to be so convinced of Jesus' love for us that now we find a dozen ways between now and the end of the year to demonstrate that love to the loved ones around us who need that love. There's a book by J.I. Packer that I read a couple of times 10 years ago. 
And I just pulled it off the shelf again this week. And he says this about the love of Jesus for us, which is just, it's devastating in a good way. J.I. Packer says, there is tremendous relief in knowing that Jesus' love to me is utterly realistic. Hear this. There's tremendous relief in knowing that Jesus' love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on his prior knowledge of the worst things about me. So that now no discovery about me can disillusion Jesus about me the way I am so frequently disillusioned about myself. When it comes to the determined, realistic nature of Jesus to love me, nothing can quench his love. This is the very love of God demonstrated to us. Jesus says, you are blessed if you have received this love and then you demonstrate this love, you show this love to those around you. And I say again, church, of all the, all the crazy, bad, hard things that have happened this year, have, they have only, hear me say this, they have only brought to the surface the reality that people need love and people need hope. And if we miss this, I don't, I don't even know what we're doing if we miss this. It is, it is so evident that everyone you run into needs love and that everyone you run into needs hope. And it becomes so tragically obvious the ways that the people in the world who don't know Jesus yet seek for love and seek for hope in so many ways that end up fruitless. We all know from experience that sin will gratify, but sin will never satisfy. And if you find a way to feel okay about your life without making sure that you're right with Jesus, that way only ends up through gratification maybe adding up to more condemnation because you're just putting off what has to happen, which is that Jesus has to cleanse you within. You're not going to run into anybody this year who's completely thoughtless, I suppose, about death. Even if, even if you believe the pandemic is a sham and that it's all just created by Bill Gates to make more money off of Google or whatever, even if that's what you think, you still have to think about the reality of death because of everything, everything that everyone's talking about all the time. And I think that's a good thing because it's, it's a colossal correction to us. It gives us the opportunity to say, death is not like this random intrusion through molecules that didn't work the right way. Death is the judgment of God for sin. Church, we need to declare that. We need to declare that carefully, not like if this person died of COVID, they had committed sins X, Y, and Z, not in a one for one, but in the biggest picture, the good news is that death is God's judgment for sin, which means there was a universe where there was no death. And there will be one where there is no death. But now, in this fallen planet, death is God's judgment for sin. And the, the thing is, nobody in the world thinks like that. We think that death is a problem that big pharmacology will solve. Or death is a problem that a bigger government will solve. 
or death is a problem that better science will solve. And none of that's good news because we can't find better pharmacology and a perfect government and better science. But the good news is that the, the good news is that the Son of God came into the world so that he could die our death. So death is not to be escaped by technology or by science. Death is to be escaped by the Son of God taking our place. This is the only message that we have, and this is the message that we need to speak and show to everyone around us, particularly these last three weeks of the year. I guess a, I guess a vaccine is good news, unless you have some weird conspiracy theories about that too, whatever. But a vaccine is very small G good news because on a human level, a vaccine will delay your death for another six years, 12 years, 18 years, whatever it is. But you're still going to die. Big pharma is not going to save you from death. Neither is science or government or anything else. But Jesus conquers the fear of death because he pours out his own life in our place. Jesus knowing, verse 3, that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God. The reason he came from God was so that here in this narrative, he could be the only one to push back from the table and get on the ground and wash our feet. But the reason he came from God is so that everyone in the table, Judas accepted, would no longer have to die the second death. Church family, this is what we want to see. In all the talk about hope and love and death and life, Jesus says, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to us, if you know these things, there's a blessing in showing them to someone else this week and next week and the week after. And this is what we want to focus on in our last moments here is we have a time uh, to participate and to pray. In a minute, I'm going to ask some of our, uh, our elders and ABF leaders to come forward to pray with you. And I have, I have made more just random phone calls to church members this year than I probably ever have before. I made another dozen probably this week. Um, and I talked to several church members, not just one or two, who are very wobbly, very discouraged by their family or by this or that. I talked to a couple of our elders this week who were very discouraged about things happening in ministry or not happening in ministry. And in, in all this down, the, it, to me, it's only bringing to the surface that the answer is so simple. It's that Jesus is love and that Jesus calls us to receive that love and to share and show that love with those around us. So as we close, we, I just want to, if, there, if there's somebody in your life, a friend, a family member, and you just know that person desperately needs to see the love of Jesus, then let us pray for that person by name and let us pray that you 
in the next three weeks will be the one to show them that. So as the, as the musicians come to play, um, I'd ask the, the elders and uh, ABF leaders uh, to, to come forward, if you would, to help us pray. And if there's, if there's some person in your family or in your friendship circle that we can pray for, let us do that. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's that whatever has happened this year, it's made you doubtful about faith and hope and love. Let us pray that Jesus would not just, not just have these things be notionally in your mind, but that really they would sink in and you would experience them in your heart. Like he says, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. If you know these things, let us pray for the blessing that you will experience these things in your heart. So let me ask the, the leaders to come forward and the, the musicians will play. And um, if you would like us to pray for you, please come forward and let us pray with you and for you. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.